Welcome to Oak City Church, a family of learners, lovers, and givers sent. For more information, visit us online at oakcitychurch.com. Let us know if we can help you in any way. Thank you for listening. Happy Father's Day. Um, dads, you're going to get a little surprise from, from your, you got kids in the back. You're going to get a surprise today. And it's appropriate, and it's excellent. And I did some quality control to make sure that it was good this week, and so it is. So this little surprise coming for you guys. If you guys could stand, I'm going to read the passage that we're going through today. We are in a series in Romans. If you're new to Oak City Church, um, this is something a lot of traditions do, and we just started doing it a couple years ago. But these are the most important words that will be said today are the Lord's words um, spoken over us. And so it's a way of acknowledging uh, the value of the words that he's given us and, and being grateful for that. Romans chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she's released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, She'll be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive, but if her husband dies, she's free from that law, and if she marries another man, she's not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who's been raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions Aroused by the law, we're at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. You guys can be seated. So we are in a, in a section of Romans where... Um, Use this the last few weeks. Chapters 1 through 5, we're in, in 6, 7, 8, this little section. Chapters 1 through 5 talked about what Jesus has accomplished for us in the gospel. And then 6 through 8 kind of moves into what Jesus will accomplish or is accomplishing right now in us through the gospel. And um, some of this stuff feels like we're not getting a, a high school degree or a bachelor's degree. Maybe we're getting a master's degree in the gospel, and that's why you go through Romans. We're, we're in the deeper end of the pool and Paul uses some metaphors, which, you know, some pictures that help make things understandable. But at the same time, he's talking about black and light, white spiritual realities beneath the surface to try and help explain the gray of the everyday life of walking with Jesus. And so it's a little, it's a little, it's helpful, but it's a little bit fuzzy. And so he has another, another metaphor today. And so I'm going to start with this question. How many of you um, ever uh, broke up with someone that you were dating? At some point in your life, you were dating somebody for, you know, a few weeks or months or years or maybe days or even hours. How many of you ever dated somebody for hours? I was in fifth grade. I was in fifth grade, and Jenny Keith and I, were going, we were going together. I asked her if she would go with me. No place in particular, just if we would go. If we were going, we would go together. And then by lunch, I found out that she was now going with Chad Byer and... I'm still, you know, it's got me. So, so how, she broke up with that without even saying anything. And so how many of you, you broke up with somebody, how many of you find that breaking up with somebody an enjoyable experience? 
Good, good. That might be a different sermon. Well, uh, I mean, maybe you needed to break up with them, and so it was enjoyable from that end. But it's hard to break up with somebody. I, I actually preferred getting broken up with to breaking up with somebody because I just didn't like making people feel bad. So what's the classic breakup line that's supposed to make things easier? Yeah, everybody knows this. It's not, it's not you. It's me. Um, it's not. So, hey, you know, we've been, this has been a great couple of years or months or weeks or days or hours in, and, uh, but I just feel like it's time, you know, I just think it's time for us to move on to greener pastures, and it's, but it's not you, you're great, you're really great, you couldn't be greater than you are, it's me, it's me, I'm the problem, and that's why I'm breaking up with, you can't even say that with a straight face, right, that line is just um, ridiculous, did it ever, did anybody ever use that line on you? Maybe no one ever uses this line except for Seinfeld. Oh, right, we got one back there, you know. Um, yeah, most often you're just not a good fit. You feel like it's time to move on. Sometimes it is you and you need some space and, and you're just not in a good place. And sometimes it's really them and um, you realize they're emotionally unhealthy and, and you just want to get out like quietly. And so you're willing to fall on your sword and say it's you before they take out a sword and like kill you or something. And so that is how people use it. This what Paul's going to say today is with our complicated relationship with the law, it really was not the law, it was us. This is one case where you can say, it's not you, it was me. And so hold that thought for just a second. He's used some metaphors to illustrate the black and white spiritual reality beneath the surface to help us understand the gray day-to-day experience. And, it's, and a couple weeks ago, it was life and death. And so the question was, shall we continue in sin so that grace may abound? And he says, and this is not even a good question because if you've, you've been, when we get baptized, it's a picture of we've died with Christ. When Christ died on the cross, we were crucified with him and then we're raised to new life. And if, you've been, if you died to sin, then you can't continue in sin. That doesn't even make sense. And so last week, the metaphor was slavery, which in, in that time was a little bit more like indentured servitude. People, could, the people opted into slavery. They could choose that. And so the question was, since we're not under law anymore, but under grace, should we just keep sinning because we're under grace and it's all taken care of? And he says, when you, when you decide to sin or decide to obey, you're not just making a single act decision. You're, you're establishing a pattern. You're moving in a direction. And he says, you're presenting your members of your body as slaves to a master one way or the other. And so you, you can't just decide willy-nilly one decision. Like you're moving in a direction and you're submitting yourself to slavery. So don't do that. And this week, it's marriage. And so um, this is where, where he starts. Do you not know, brothers, from speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives? So it's like a married woman is bound by law to her husband while, she, while she, he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. So black and white, legal reality, um, it, you're either married or you're not married, and if you're married, you're married to one person. We're not in Utah. You can only be married to one person. You know, you can't be married to more than one person. If that person dies, you're no longer married to them, and so you're free to marry somebody else. But if that person is still alive, and then you try to marry another person, that's just creepy, and so don't do that, you know? And accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive, but if her husband dies, she's free from that law, and if she marries another man, she's not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit 
for God. So I'm going to carry this metaphor through and point out three things. One is the reality of the end of our marriage to the law. Two is the necessity of the end of our marriage to the law. And three is the blessing of our new marriage to Christ. So I'll start with the reality of the end of this um, metaphorical marriage to the law. Um, when, when, I, when I started going through this passage and thinking about this picture, that there's, this is how Paul's putting it. There's, there's me, and then there's the law, and me and the law are married, and then there's Jesus, and I need to be married to Jesus, but I can't be married to the law and Jesus, so we need to end this marriage. What I, what I automatically think is, okay, good, we'll kill the law, and then I'll be free to marry Jesus, but we need to get rid of that law, and that is kind of a, like I like the idea of getting rid of the law because I have bad taste in my mouth about the law because it seems to have been the problem and we don't like rules and we're not good at keeping rules. So we assume the law is the problem, we'll kill the law, we'll be free from it, and then we can marry Jesus. But that's not what he says. He says, likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ. We didn't, have, we didn't kill the law because the law wasn't the problem. You and I were the problem. So in Christ, we died and we died, part of that death was dying to the law. And when I first started working through that, I thought, that's a little bit insulting. Like, oh, I wasn't good enough for the law. And he's like, well, yeah, right. You weren't good enough for the law. Like, that's the whole point of the first bit of Romans. And that's why I started with that question about dating. Like, this is a situation where you could say, it's not you, it's me, and you would be right. Uh, the law was a ten. You know, the law was a perfect ten. If you could marry something, the law would be a good thing to marry. I just, in looking through some, some passages, I'm going to read a bit from Psalm 119, which is all about the law, and I'm just going to read it, the first bit of it. Um, but he writes, Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts, to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways would be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having fixed my eye on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn of your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much in, as in all riches. I delight in the ways of your testimonies. I'll meditate on your precepts. I'll fix my eyes on your ways. I'll delight in your statutes. I won't forget your word. All this is about law. Uh, deal bountifully with your servant that I might keep your word. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. I'm a sojourner on the earth. Hide not your commandments from me. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. Has your soul ever been consumed with longing for the rules of God, the law of God at all times? Like the law, in, this, in the picture that Paul's using, the law is a dream girl. This guy is obsessed. He cannot stop thinking about the law because it's beautiful and he loves it. The problem was not the law. Jesus said, don't think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I haven't come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Earlier in Romans, Paul says, do we then overthrow this law or the law by this faith? He says, no, on the contrary, we're going to uphold the law. 
Um, and in the next passage, he's going to say, so the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. We were the problem, not the law. The law was a 10. We were created in God's image to be a 10, but we sinned and our flesh became corrupted and we, got, we were a zero. And uh, God made the law to protect us uh, because we're not God and we needed it. And it would have worked. And God told them to eat, not to eat from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That was the first law, and there was one law, and he was right about it. And that law represents, in a way, all the other laws, because he's basically just saying, trust me, that I'm smarter than you, I'm better than you, I know more than you, and I love you. And that's what his, that's what his law does for us, but the corruption of our flesh makes it so it doesn't work. So, so like this, it's not you but me, is, we should lament that. It should change our perception of it. It's easy to hate the law because we have a toxic relationship with it. It's easy to be like, that's stupid law. I never want to see you again. But it should be like the law, if only I'd gotten my act together um, and the law, we could have had a beautiful life-giving relationship, me and the law. The law is like the one that got away. Um, that's what the law is. Uh, but we come to hate it because we can't fulfill it. And that's not a law problem. It's a you problem. And we didn't initiate the breakup with the law. Uh, we went kicking and screaming into that breakup. When Jesus talks to the Pharisees and um, he's telling them, like, you guys think you got the law, but you don't got the law. You're abusing the law. They're like, oh, we get the law. Like, so you tithe dint, mint, dill, and cumin, but neglect the weightier portions of the law. Like, they were under this illusion they were getting it when they weren't. And we do the same thing um, with, with all the, the ways that we make ourselves self-righteous in forms of law. So I've used this the last handful of times, law, grace plus law, grace then law, grace upon grace. I think this is the progression that Christians go through. We start with law. We're made for law. We have to come to a place where we realize we needed grace because we can't fulfill the law, but then we still think it's, okay, Jesus did something for me, but I still have to hold up my end of the bargain, and then those two things together will make us right with God. And then we realize you progress through that. That doesn't make sense. And so Jesus did his thing for me to make me right with God, but then I got to do my thing to stay right with God. And then you realize, well, that doesn't make sense either. And then you get to a point where it's just grace and grace and grace and grace. And Paul, I think, would be saying in those middle steps, you, can't be, you can be married to one or the other, the law or Jesus. And so if you're trying to, you've accepted who Jesus is, but you keep leaning back to the law, it's like you're cheating on, you're the adulteress who's cheating on Jesus with the law in those middle steps. It's so extreme, this break from the law, to be married to Jesus. So it's a reality of the end of our marriage to the law. Let me talk for a minute about the necessity of the end of our marriage to the law and say this, we had a toxic relationship with the law because our sinful flesh and the law are a really bad match. You ever been in a toxic relationship with anybody? I can't have a thought that all our relationships are a little bit toxic because we still fight our flesh and we got two fleshes together, whatever. But um, I, this week, I was thinking about, um, about toxic relationships. And, and before we started the church, we were at another church and we had a ministry that met on like Tuesday nights and, and it was a lot of young people um, a lot of young 20-somethings not married. And so we would meet at this place off of Avon Ferry and Tryon called Casper Park, which was like a daycare with an event center. And the lady went to the other church that we were going to, and so she let us use it. And we would haul all our stuff over there and set up the sound equipment and then tear it down. And then we'd put it back in the trailer and in wherever we stored it. And then we'd go to Harrison's in Cary um, and grab a burger and a beer or whatever. And so one night we're there after it's over and people are just hanging out. And I see these two... They're, they're early 20-somethings, they're good-looking people, 
you know, sometimes people are too good looking for their own good, and these two people were in that category. He had just gotten out of the Air Force, so he's kind of feeling himself. She was a real pretty girl. And so they're sitting next to each other, like on a bar stool, kind of facing each other, but a little bit of an angle, and they're a little closer than they ought to be. And I swear to you, he said something like, do you know who the most dangerous person in this bar is right now? And she's like, no, why don't you show me? And I was like, we get someone get them away from each other now. Somebody step in and make sure they never see each other again because this is going to go horribly wrong, right? You ever see that? Like you just know instantly these two people are going to bring out the worst in each other. I looked her up this week to make sure she didn't marry him, and she didn't. Like, uh, and so our, that's us and our sinful flesh and the law. So this is a little complicated because in, in Romans 6, a couple weeks ago, Paul said, how can he who died to sin still live in it? So we died to our sin, but then in this passage, likewise, my brothers, you've died to the law through the body of Christ. So it's kind of like, which is it? Do we die to sin and die to the law? And we died to both when we died with Christ. We died to sin, but then we also died to this relationship with the law. And then he says, for while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. Um, toxic relationship isn't going to go well. That's our sinful flesh and the law. Uh, this is, I'm leaning into John's message. I hope not too far. But you're not going to remember this anyway because people forget stuff, right? So what, what sh- so like next, this is kind of this, leaning into this next passage. What shall we say then? Is the law sin by no means? If it hadn't been for the law, I wouldn't have known sin. For I wouldn't have known what it is to covet if the law hadn't said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, Produced in me all sorts of covenants, for apart from the law, sin lies dead. When someone says, don't press the red button, what do you think? I want to press the red button. Now, we're made to think that person who told me not to press the red button probably knows more about red buttons than I do and is smarter than me and is probably genuinely concerned for my welfare, has my best in mind. I wasn't even thinking about pressing the red button anyway, so I'll just stay as far. I forget there even was a red button. But instead, we think, why don't you want me to press the red button? What's wrong with red buttons? What's any different between a red button and a green button, a blue button? How do I know you're telling me the truth? How do you know about the red button? Have you ever pressed the red button? Why do you hate me so much? Right? That's what we think. Don't Tell me what to do. That's, that's the, the core of that is don't tell me what to do. I'll just do whatever I want to do. And that's the essence of our corrupted flesh is that we want to be not like God. We want to be God. We want to think of ourselves as all wise. We want to be all powerful. We want to determine what's good and bad uh, for us and to be in control of it. That is the temptation of Satan in the garden. The law is not there to bless you. The law is there to control you. God doesn't love you. God loves himself and hates you. And so that, our flesh, that's what it does. It takes, we take the law and we use it to gain some form of control. And so the law ends up becoming a means not to depend on God, which is what it was made for, but to gain independence from God. Um, There's a section where Paul, uh, I think, does a, does a really good job of explaining this and it echoes a little bit of what he's saying to the Romans. So it's Philippians chapter 3 and right before this passage that I'm going to read, he, um, he's just talked about how good he was at following the law as a young man and how he is like the ideal Jewish person because of the ways that he followed the law. But, and then he says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. And he's kind of saying, died to the law, embracing Christ. 
Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things. And I count all those things as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him. And this is the key part. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, a righteousness from God that depends on faith. And so what he realized, there's a righteousness that comes from the law, but in our corrupted flesh, it's our own righteousness. It is a self-righteousness that we gain thinking, if I obey the law, then God owes me because I made myself righteous. And this righteousness that comes when we've died to the law and we've embraced Christ is a completely different righteousness. It's a righteousness that Christ has earned for us and given to us as a gift. And so Paul recognizes this, that we're fooling ourselves into thinking we're obeying the law for God when it's really a form of self-righteousness instead of Christ's righteousness. And that's the nature of our toxic relationship with the law. And I would extend this beyond the law of God into like any laws, because at our core, we're wired to get our sense of who we are from outside of ourselves. We need to know that we're good and that we're loved, and we know that we're not good. We just instinctively know that. So we're trying to find some form of validation or justification, and we'll use any of the systems of the world to get it. So um, I mentioned this a few times, a pastor in New York named John Tyson, who talked about being in such a simple thing, and that whole book, that's the only thing I remember, but he put his, he put some recycling into his trash so he put like a plastic bottle into his trash and a neighbor caught him and it was just an accident but he felt like he was going to get kicked out of the apartment complex because he had violated the culturally environmental laws that say you must do this and 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 so he was unrighteous in the eyes of the person in his apartment complex and he realized like what it is to violate that law we come up with these laws all the time I'm not sure if I should say this, but, it, but June is, um, is Pride Month. And I've been, I've been clear about this. That whenever I talk about it, I feel like I'm fairly clear about it. That God put the tree of the knowledge of good and evil right in the middle of the garden. So people have the right. God, sometimes we guard that tree more than God did. And people have the right to do whatever they want with God. And so there have been laws in times past that needed to go away when it came to homosexuality. But now we're, but the Bible, I, I think, is clear that, that, um, that sex is a gift from God meant to be enjoyed in the context of a marriage relationship between a man and a woman. And so that's up to the side. When it comes to the laws, the unofficial laws that are coming up when it, when it comes to, to Pride Month in particular, a lot of you have talked about me about getting DEI training, diversity, equity, inclusion training at work, which on the surface, like those are good concepts, you know, but you are scared that you're going to get fired from your job if you don't use the right pronouns or whatever tone, whatever line. That's a law that makes some people feel righteous and then, and then castigates other people. And now, this is the first time this year where I've seen articles about maybe DEI has jumped the shark because it's not really working. Um, a couple years ago, someone sent me a video, and it was, it was by two um, gay men that put this video together. It was like a parody of what corporations do during Pride Month that has nothing to do with with pride, but it has to do with making money. So these two gay men were making a parody because they knew they were being used by the corporations to make money because of the way that the corporations branded each other. And I thought, oh, this whole concept is kind of jumping the shark. And this year it was um, the Bud Light thing, which Bud Light lost a ton of money. And it's like culture is kind of saying, okay, we're, we've had enough. Um, Bud Light was the, was this last month was the first month in 21 years that Bud Light was not the most popular selling beer in America. You know what replaced it? 
You see, you guys are paying attention since. It wasn't even Corona with those cool Snoop Dogg commercials. It was Modelo. I didn't even really know that beer existed here. Uh, but it was Modelo and, and with Target. My point is, like, there's, our culture is making laws all the time that we feel the influence of, and there's a righteousness that comes along with following those laws, and it's a self-righteousness that, that comes with it. We do it in church. You know, when I talked about the Pharisees earlier, you tied mint, dill, and cumin. Like, those are the things that you could tithe your, mint, your, your uh, spice garden, you know, but, it's, but you neglect justice and mercy in the weightier portions of the law because those are harder. And we do that in church. I don't even know what it is because, because this is my church. I don't even know what our rules are. I know that 50 years ago in church it was um, you can't dance, even, even though David danced naked before the Ark of the Covenant. You can't, or before the Lord, you can't drink, even though Jesus turned water into wine. It's his first miracle. And I, we can debate that, but I don't, it, it's hard to understand that story another way. And you can't, I don't know, play cards. And so we, we come up with external rules. But then we, and it's because they're games of chance. There's a whole reason behind that. And you had to dress to the nines. And so we come up with external rules that we can follow, but, we're, but we ignore like envy and gossip and lust and like the stuff that's harder to follow. And we, we make ourselves think that we're like, we're all prone. Our flesh is prone. We're all prone to this self-righteousness. Again, in our culture, like we've got rules for success and what makes you successful and you know, it might be how much you make or where you live or what you wear, or what you drive. And if you do those things, then you're viewed as in the, a form of righteousness in our culture. And if you don't have those things, there's kind of an unrighteousness with it. And, and even if everything behind is a sham. And in those systems, we don't need God anymore because we've made ourselves good. We don't need a Christ righteousness because we've come up with a way to get self-righteousness. And God says that whole system's a sham and he wants us out of it completely. And that's why it's grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. We have more than just a toxic relationship with the law because we're the problem. We have an abusive relationship with the law, and we're the abusers. And the law didn't do anything wrong. We'll twist it and warp it to do whatever we need it to do to give us what we want to get out of it and to elevate ourselves instead of depending on God. And that's why we died to the law. He killed us to the law um, because we can't handle the law. Okay. Likewise, my brothers, you've died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who's been raised from the dead, in order that you may bear fruit. Um, and so let me talk about the blessing of a new marriage to Christ. So this, that verse changes everything. You've, so you belong to another, raised to the dead, in order that you might bear fruit for God. You belong. He's given us the chance to belong to another. Um, you think about what marriage is. Marriage is a, is a commitment two people make to faithfulness, to a relationship, of trust, uh, a vulnerability, of dependence, interdependence, of walking together through life, of, um, of producing together. That's not just kids. It's like producing a life together and, and seeing where God leads you and to how he's going to make you a blessing. And Christ paid for us in order to have that relationship with us, the picture has been used throughout the Bible in the Old Testament. God is the groom and Israel is the bride. And like in Hosea, he talks about Israel's unfaithfulness, but then how he's going to allure her back into the wilderness and woo her back because he loves her. And in the New Testament, Christ is the groom and we, the church, are the bride. In Ephesians, uh, Paul writes, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. He gave himself up for the church so that he might sanctify the church. 
He did it so he could cleanse us by the washing of water with the word that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot, without wrinkle, so that she might be holy and without blemish. And that's, that's the embrace that we've come into. That's the work that Christ is doing in us. If the law was a ten, Jesus is a million. Um, he fulfilled the law perfectly and promised by the Spirit that raised him from the dead, he's going to bring us to a point where we do that too. If your relationship with the law brought out the worst in you, your relationship with Jesus is going to bring out the best in you because he's going to make you brand new by the power of the Spirit that raised him from the dead. Um, and the language that got me in this passage was that so that you might belong to another. So that you might belong to another. Because it's convicting language. And I ended up thinking we need to embrace Jesus and stop flirting with the law. Uh, and if you hear the stories about people that like reconnect with an old high school flame and then leave their family, <laughs> um, there was a guy at our old church that did that. Um, and so when I, like I feel like that's what we're doing. It's not just the the law so much. I don't think we read our Bible thinking, oh boy, you know, I, but I think it's our, the temptation to find our worth in anything other than Christ. It's the hope of self-righteousness, of justifying ourselves by some means other than Christ that springs from our sinful flesh and the law, whether it be God's law or a cultural law, arouses in us. When we do grace plus law or grace then law, we're leaning back into that self-righteousness instead of embracing Christ righteousness. And that's, this is where there's a black and white reality and there's a day-to-day -day gray experience because we're resisting this. When he says, so that you continue in sin is like a, a perpetual thing. Like, it doesn't mean you're not every once in a while going to sin, but do you embrace that and continue in it? There's a resistance at all times that we're making, but he's saying keep, keep resisting. Um, you can't be married to two people. And so you're married to the law or married to Jesus. Uh, you're under the law but you're, or, you're, or you're under grace, but you're not under both. And if you're in Christ, you are under grace and you have embraced, you've been embraced by Christ. And it doesn't mean, and this is where, where, this, where Paul goes really in chapter 8, um, which may be the best chapter in Romans, if there's a best chapter in Romans. Um, it doesn't mean we don't, we don't, like the law was meant for us to be fruitful. It doesn't mean that we're not fruitful, right, at the end of this passage, in order that we may bear fruit for God. Uh, the new relationship with Jesus is going to be a lot more productive than the old relationship with the law. He's concerned about that. He just says it's going to happen in a different way than you think it is. The end of chapter 6, when you were slaves in sin, you were free with regard to righteousness. But he asked, but what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you're now ashamed? For the end of those things was death. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. In the last verse in this passage, now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. And that's where he's going to lean the next few weeks is the new way of the Spirit. Um, and in Galatians, uh, he again echoes this. These passages echo each other. He says, the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. One or the other. They're opposed to each other. 
to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy, it's peace and patience, kindness and goodness, faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So the answer isn't like, try hard to do those things. It's embrace Jesus as your new lover, and, and you, you, will, you will begin bearing those fruits because of the work that Christ is doing in you. But the focus is on the relationship with Jesus. I was um, reading in Jeremiah, and um, he, he talks about, he uses the metaphor of a, of a tree that is planted by water, um, by a stream, and how you don't need the rains to come at all times because you've got that source that's beneath you. And it's, so it's embracing the source that we always have with you, and if you do that, then you're regularly going to be bearing fruit for the Lord, even when you don't know how you're going to do that. Um, we're going we're gonna to take communion in a minute, and... Um, uh, Ken and Mike are going to come up and offer you communion if you're new to Oak City Church um, or, or visiting. This is how we've done this. Instead of taking communion, we, we have someone that's going to offer you communion. We receive communion for the Lord. And what we're, what we're receiving is a, is a picture of what Jesus was willing to do to rescue us from our toxic relationship with the law and bringing us into a relationship with him. And so what we're celebrating when we celebrate the, the bread that's been broken for us and the cup, that has been poured out for us, this blood that's been poured out for us, is, um, is like the depth of his love for us. And when you take that this morning, think about the depth of the love that he has for us. I'm going to ask the band to come back up, and I'm going to ask you guys to bow your heads and close your eyes for a minute. And um, this, is a different, this is a different picture than the last two because it's so um, emotional relational, personal, it's not life and death, it's not slavery, it's um, Christ is, wants to be your lover, and he is your lover. And man, if you, if you hear something through this, and I have ended the last couple of weeks with the end of Romans 8, that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. In all the technical language and the pictures that he's using to try and help us to describe what has been done for us and what's going on inside of us and around us. Things that are beyond us and his ways are higher than our ways and, and things that we, can't, we can kind of grasp but not completely grasp. I think what he wants to be crystal clear is the love that he has for us. And so whatever you're going through, whatever's weighing you down, whatever's got you anxious, um, hear this, that he has set us free so that we can embrace another. And the one that wants to embrace us is Christ. 
and he's right there with you in the midst of whatever you're going through. And it is a black and white reality beneath the surface, and he knows that we're working through the gray of day-to-day life. But he is doing things that we can't see that one day we'll know. Um, And he loves you, and he is with you, and he is powerful, and he is mighty, and he is faithful. And if you are in him and wed to him, he is going to carry you through this. Father, thanks for these passages um, describing our relationship with you as a result of what Christ has done for us, Lord. pray that your spirit would convict us in ways that we individually need to be convicted, Lord, of um, ways that we're seeking to be righteous and good and worthy apart from you. And God, you would help us to, to appreciate in new ways and feel with a new weight the righteousness that you've given us and that it's all we need. love you and praise in Jesus' name.